Welcome to the Digital Dissection Podcast, hosted by Mark Benke and myself, Joe Vinipal. We're two pop culture nerds dedicated to celebrating our favorite properties and talking to the creative minds and personalities that make them great. You might learn something new about pop culture history or rediscover the recent past. Follow us on social media for weekly pop culture content, where we're always dissecting. So, Joe, 16 years ago, the universe was in a hot, dense state. Oh. Yeah. And then expansion I mean, happened. I mean, if if you're listening and you're taking this literally, we've just officially changed the platform to a weird creationist cult. And everything <laughs> literally started 16 years ago. It just feels longer. Or we're talking about the Big Bang Theory, one of the two things. Uh, yes, yes. And not to be confused with the scientific <laughs> Big Bang Theory, for those of you who are sitting there going, what the hell are they talking about? This is a science podcast now? Since when? <laughs> we, we've been scientish with like some of the, the additional content we made last season. Yeah, I you think know, Science the... E was a good way to describe it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what did I say? Scientish-ish? Like, you know, kind of went a little... Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, a little Connery there, but that's fine. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, the, so the Big Bang Theory is one of those TV properties that you and I have talked mm-hmm. about several times. We keep kicking this can down the road. Mm-hmm. And oddly enough, Joe, it also ends up being the third TV series that we've covered this year so far that also has a lot of people bitching about how it ended. <laughs> <laughs> Which, so I mean, yeah. nothing is easy. I don't. I'm saying nothing is easy, but it is difficult to really end something that's been going on for that long. Because how can you possibly tie up, you know, twelve seasons worth of content into, especially a half hour? How could you possibly take care of that? And people are going to find a way to get mad about everything. And this is where I, I thought maybe we, we would actually bring this up later in the podcast, bring up the finale uh, to save some things till then. But I don't think, I think where I end up maybe a little shocking considering just kind of like where I've been on the series as a whole. Um, I actually had to go back and watch the finale recently because I'd never seen it before. Uh, I, I kind of fell off around season six on this show. Um, so Maybe we maybe we do some some highs and lows, ups and downs sort of things before we get quite to the finale. You know what I was going to say? Since we're talking about literally the origins of the universe, why don't we talk about mm-hmm. the origins of the Big Bang universe? Very because wise. It's a good place to start. I was going to say, why not? I mean, we're not going to do it like some of these movies where like we start at the end and then we flash back to the beginning and then we give little mm-hmm. bits of context. Which I think we also referenced somewhere along the way within like season one. <laughs> that same joke, mm-hmm. man, I'm getting old. But yeah, hey, ultimately I mean, though, I mean, yeah. probably a little late in the game to start the Quentin Tarantino format. But you know, we could <laughs> we could rebrand at any moment. It's either we curse a ton more or feet yeah. everywhere. You can Why respond with comments. No, no, yeah. <laughs> no. <laughs> what would you like to see? Let us know. <laughs> yeah, I, but. The origins of the Big Bang Theory TV show actually starts with a a juggernaut of 
of of TV in general. Mm-hmm. And if you've ever looked at the the credits, not just of this TV show, but several other major CBS shows, you've likely seen the name Chuck Lorre appear mm-hmm. before. Um, and no, he's not a large transport vehicle that's in the United Kingdom. He is nope. a man who has been involved with TV for a very long time. He's one of the creative minds behind Two and a Half Men, Mike and Molly, mm-hmm. Young Sheldon, of course, the spinoff of this, uh, Dharma and Greg. He was even an executive producer for Roseanne, which oh, Roseanne fans will notice there's a lot of people who kind of came through that turnstile on over mm-hmm. to this property. So, Joe, he's the king of sitcoms. What do you think of that? It's It's... It is hard to really dispute that, given his his success rate with these things. Even like when you go as far back as Roseanne, you're looking in the, like the '90s. This is the same era where you've got Seinfeld, Friends, and dare I say, the hidden of the big three, Frasier. At the time, these are like three juggernauts yes. of the of like the sitcom world. And Roseanne was you know, kind of I don't, I don't want to say maybe the dark horse of him, but it was of the of the three of the I guess of the four the raunchiest of them because of Roseanne Barr's like humor. Uh, but it worked. It was, it was something different compared to the other three. And like you said, we've, we've gotten names coming out of that. I know Sarah Chalk uh, went on to be in Scrubs, which was yeah. very, very noticeable, very big uh, for its time in the early 2000s. Maybe another one we cover here later on down the line. Uh, but the fact that he went like he went on to do this and two and a half men, which also huge. Uh, and the fact that that show kept going after they had to, I think literally kill off the main, one of the main characters because of his, you know, his personal life in real life. It's tiger um, blood. Yeah. <laughs> Winning. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, just, just speaks volumes to what this man was able to do. And you can, I mean, you can argue like against, um, two and a half men, young Sheldon. Um, I think he else like Mike and, uh, Mike and Molly, you can argue against all these things, uh, over say whether you think they're like a good sitcom or a bad sitcom. Um, uh, but at the same time, like they all continued for quite a while. They all had pretty solid ratings throughout the run until close to the end there. So they they were successes whether you know we somebody like them or not. Just like a brutal car crash, whether or not you think it's a good thing, people are still watching it. You know? That's <laughs> that's kind of what happens here. And mm-hmm. it's it's not just from from Chuck Lorre's side of it, it's also Bill Prady, who is the other half mm-hmm. of this. Technically it's a three headed monster, but the the big two. So Bill Prady was also attached to Married with Children. Star Trek Voyager, Joe. Ooh. Yeah. A non-sitcom entity within all of this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, I, I was really mm-hmm. hopeful that um, I would have been able to reference some really bitchin' like Star Trek song intros, but unfortunately Voyager's <laughs> not the one. <laughs> but, no, but, no. I mean, it's not Faith of the Heart. It, it's, it, no. it's, it's not, it doesn't have lyrics or anything. And also, kind of like... <laughs> you're thinking, Voyager is like an odd thing on a resume that you're not sure if it actually applies, but you put it on there anyway. Um, yeah, in this yeah. case, not not to say, not to say like I, like there's anything wrong with Voyager. Vo- I liked Voyager quite a bit, but we're looking at sitcoms. Um, Voyager were not really known for its sitcominess. Isn't it kind of like community service on on your college resume? <laughs> you know, when you're applying, <laughs> and then, 
And everyone's like, oh, 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 very, oh, very, hey. very nice. I'm, I'm doing yeah, the golf class. Really, <laughs> the, the, the really offensive, like, you did it. Uh, congrats. <laughs> Fantastic. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But he, he was also attached to Gilmore Girls and uh, the Muppets. He worked for like Jim Henson for a while. So, wow. like, it's, it's, it's mean, an interesting cocktail we've got going here. I, I wonder if that, that came to help out Jim Parsons in the future when he got to be in a Muppet movie after the Big Bang was all said and done. Or was it what done I, when, that, when that came out? Uh, I think it was... We're, we're kind of... I, th- I think we're, we're, we're in between like a couple, couple things here because there's... We might be. Mm-hmm. There's like the Muppets revival and that happens, I think, midway through like the 2010s or something and... Mm-hmm. You know, so it, it's all in the same. I mean, it, Joe, at this point, we're getting so old, we could pretend like things happened the way we thought, and no one's going to correct us because we're old. That's yep. just how it works. And then we eventually will devolve into the old Muppets screaming from a balcony, saying everything's yeah. bad. Now to read the podcast. This sucks. <laughs> yeah. When we started this, I had hair. <laughs> oh god wait that was true fuck no well shit. you know it's crazy what happens in three years right and, uh, <laughs> look if you if you don't believe in the rigors of podcasting i mean we lose hair we lose relationships we misplace things i don't know where my phone yeah. is right now Mm-mm. but either way these guys had their shit together joe and as i say that though that's not the case for the pilot of the Big Bang Theory, oh. which, very similar to the pilot for Game of Thrones, mm-hmm. they started off a certain way, and people went, uh, hey guys, look, just, just, just come on in here for a second. Come on, just take a seat. Go ahead and take a seat right there. <laughs> so guys, look, we love it. It's fantastic. But it fucking sucks, and we want you to take out half the cast and try it again. <laughs> oh, well then. <laughs> so... So maybe you didn't like it. (laughs) (laughs) I think it was classic, you know, uh, Mm -hmm. Northeastern book, as we always call them, where it's like, all right, all right, all right. Here's what we're going to do. Here's what we're going to do. And then, like, everybody leans in. And like, Mm -hmm. all right, we love the concept, but we want you to strip it down as much as you possibly can and come back to us. Because initially, Joe... We had Johnny Galecki, we had Jim mm-hmm. Parsons attached to like okay. this original pilot, mm-hmm. but nobody else survived. Everybody else was like, nope, oh. we, don't, we don't like these people. <laughs> Moving on. Mm-hmm. <sighs> yeah. I mean, yeah. to be honest with you, uh, mm-hmm. this is all research stuff, Joe. Like, there's actresses, Amanda Walsh, uh, who plays mm-hmm. Katie, who is the prototypical Penny, right? Like, she was supposed to be who Penny ends up becoming, right? Uh, okay. And then there was actress uh, Iris Barr, who plays this Gilda, who's like a scientist, uh, who is like friends with this like Katie person, right? Mm-hmm. Regardless, they were subtracted from the equation. They, they they just completely cut them out, and the writers went back and said, okay, all right. So let's just condense the, those characters into one hot one who doesn't mm. wear bras very often. What do you guys think okay. of that? Okay. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, we could make that work. Yeah, that's, I mean, this is, it's it's almost like like what happened to Claire in the Seinfeld pilot, where it's like, you know what, Claire is a little, just a little, 
little too rough around the edges. We need yeah. someone who will still throw things back at the guys, but not be so abrasive about it. And then we got Elaine Bettis. Um, yeah. There was no condensing of Claire. And we also all actually got to see Claire in the pilot, as opposed to these two. <laughs> hey, well, fortunately, the pilot is floating out there on the internet. People found Ooh. it. Chuck Lorre in the beginning was saying that uh, you guys might see it one of these days. We're not going to be the ones who necessarily want you to see it. But once you do, mm-hmm. let us know. It's, it's, it's pop culture history, right? Um, personally, yeah. I haven't mm-hmm. watched it myself. Because I'm not brave enough. Maybe one day. But, no, it's, uh, maybe, yeah. or it could be like when I thought it'd be a great idea to find the American Sailor Moon pilot on, online. <laughs> and it turned out, could have gone without seeing it. Because my <laughs> God, if there's anything more American than taking something else, really changing it to work and be really awkward, that was the Sailor Moon pilot. And... But actually having the word work anywhere near that sentence and that pilot is is very, very, like, you know, wrong of me. Because holy <laughs> crap, that was hot garbage. And, that, like, I feel bad because it was, just, it was a lot of child actors involved in this mm. who I'm assuming went on to have no career after they really tried to hide and bury this pilot. Yeah. Well, I mean, fortunately, things did work out here. I mean, it's mm-hmm. it's... I wouldn't say this is uncommon necessarily, but... You know, rewrites do happen quite a bit. Maybe there was something that producers saw. They were like, you know what? We're digging this. We're not digging that. Let's subtract mm-hmm. this. Let's figure something else out. And, yeah. you know, ultimately, that, that led to the creative team repurposing it and giving us the idea that made people billions of dollars in the end. So, yeah, 12 yeah, seasons, something 279 <laughs> episodes later, we're not complaining, are we? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I mean, I mean... Like, like you said, of of some series that were talked about, and they were they were one or two complaints of. This is one of those series where I think you have a very very divided audience on, because some people absolutely just loved it and escaped into it and were totally fine with it, and then there are others who do nonstop talking about how you don't have characters but caricatures and. They will always happily point out the laugh track that was used in the show. Which is ridiculous to me because it was recorded in front of a live audience. So it's it's not like How I Met Your Mother where mm-hmm. they recorded the laughs to the reactions of what they were actually producing and then putting that in. This was, yeah. nope, we've got the live audience. Mm-hmm. Then we're going to add the laugh track, even though their reactions are here. So... I don't even know which one I'd rather have, except for the fact that I know a very specific mm-hmm. laugh that happens in every damn episode, and every time I hear it, <laughs> I'm like, God, my, who thought they could get away with this? Yeah. I mean, no, they don't honestly think that maybe the same guy is coming to every recording, and he's <laughs> laughing the exact same way every time. <laughs> and There's no way that's happening. Well, the thing is, you, I know that there's there's some bullshitting going on with the Big Bang Theory and with How I Met Your Mother because I've heard the mm-hmm. same laugh on both shows. So <laughs> they had to, if you, because there's, mm-hmm. I, and this is going to be hard for people to probably pick out, but there's this one laugh that always goes like, <laughs> and you can't unhear it once you've heard it. Like, and then as soon as you hear it, like, yep, I'm picking it up every mm-hmm. single time, but it's there. 
But <laughs> the complaints about these guys, mm-hmm. though, Joe, is that we've got really the show centered around two Caltech physicists and their neighbor. And mm-hmm. I mean, it's 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 a good enough formula to introduce us to. Yeah. Like nowadays, I'm surprised that some of my favorite shows have like 15 main characters on them (laughs) because (laughs) I can't remember names in general. Um, Frankly, Mm -hmm. I'm surprised I even remember your first name. That's just kind of how I am. And I mean, if it wasn't on the screen, I'm sure it had been gone long ago. (laughs) (laughs) I know. I was just kind of hoping and trying to figure out all these different ways I can find out your information without asking you, you know, just like Jerry Seinfeld. It's it's a good thing we met wearing name tags on our on our on our costumes. Otherwise, we'd have no idea who each other are. <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. We've been doing a, we've been doing a podcast now for three years and over a hundred episodes, and we don't know each other's <laughs> names. We have no clue. Those Part of our charm. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> so here here's here's something that I would like to ask you, Joe. Mm-hmm. Do you remember the first time? You saw Johnny Galecki, who plays Leonard Hofstetter, one of the three original characters here that we're focusing on. It's a little unfair <laughs> to, for, for me to answer this now, because I know the answer to this because of because of someone telling to me while the show was going on and I had watched Johnny Galecki basically probably two or three times a year every year throughout my childhood growing up in a movie you may have heard of called National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation uh, uh, because yes. he had played Rusty uh, in that. So he was very prominent there. And I had gotten through, I think, probably three series of uh, three uh, seasons of Big Bang Theory before, I don't want to say I put those things together that this was the same human being from one role to the next. I was yeah. definitely told, yeah, that's Rusty from uh, National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation, uh, which is just crazy to me because like obviously like the national lampoons vacation movies are were a staple in many households in the 80s and 90s and if you are familiar with them while uh chevy chase and um uh why am i forgetting um she plays the mom and it's killing me oh wow that that's uh beverly d'angelo Yes, Beverly D'Angelo. Yes. While those two are always playing the uh, the Griswolds, the kids change every movie. So there's someone different every single movie. It's, it's just what yep. happens. They don't care about it continuing or anything. It's like, nope, this is just what happens. So like, there's not like we got to see um, Johnny Galecki like, grow from movie to movie, and we would see, oh, hey, he eventually morphed into Leonard. It's like, nope, nope, it was just little Johnny Galecki, Leonard. And I didn't know the two apart. <laughs> I didn't know the two were the same. So I, I did happen to put that together uh, because we also watched that show or that movie many times, even though I don't remember the, the mm-hmm. actress's names, unfortunately. But there was another film with him in 1997 called Suicide Kings, where oh. he actually, uh, together with him and a bunch of 20-somethings, kidnap a mobster who's played by Christopher Walken. Oh. And... 
And it's actually a really good movie uh, where he plays a pretty good role. He's not like, he's not quite like whiny Leonard or anything, but he's Mm -hmm. still kind of like this reserved, a little kind of nerdy dude. He's got a conscience while the rest of them are kind of running wild with Mm -hmm. this gig. And there's one thing about this I wanted to mention because uh, he's, he's the one who definitely treats the mobster as if he's a real person and not just a, you know, a killer. Right. Oh, mm-hmm. and so Christopher Walken has this amazing line with him as he's being let go, and he's like, "Ira, you are the man." <laughs> and I will never forget it. It's it's ridiculous, mm-hmm. uh, but the movie's actually really good, and that's mm-hmm. that's where most of my early memories of Johnny Galecki actually came from. Was this yeah. this film? So mm-hmm. suddenly, when I'm like watching The Big Bang Theory for the first time, I'm like. Holy shit, that's Ira. He's the man, <laughs> you know. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, but Jim Parsons, though, so Mr. Sheldon Cooper himself, not quite as recognizable when he gets this gig. Mm-hmm. And Joe, I, I don't even know if it's worth asking you if you remember where he's from before this show. But do you have any guesses? <laughs> uh, you know. I know it was a commercial. I know that because I remember, I remember seeing him on the show and being like, "He's familiar. I know him. Where is he from?" And I couldn't put my finger on it, but I just knew. I, I, I some eventually, I, I, like either someone showed me the commercial because someone showed it to me on YouTube. You know, back when YouTube was ad free, uh, and you didn't have to pay for the no ad for, uh, thing. They looked it up and found it. But for the life of me, I can't remember what commercial it was. Oh, fortunately, I have the answer because it Ooh. actually was controversial as shit back when it came out. Really? So, mm-hmm. so Jim Parsons was part of a Quiznos commercial that people have dubbed Raised by Wolves. And mm-hmm. normally a Quiznos commercial wasn't really going to upset anybody. Right, we we had like the, this is the same era where we had those really weird looking, was it squirrels with the big teeth thing or rats Something. or whatever the fuck they were? Yeah, I just remember them yeah. like saying that they have a pepper bar, like, and they were really weird looking. So mm-hmm. it's the same creative bullshit that this comes out of. Okay, so mm-hmm. this raised by wolves concept had two versions. So they had like a they called like an AM version of it, and then they had a mm-hmm. PM version. So Jim Parsons plays this guy who's, you know, eating his his sandwich with a friend on a bench. And the friend says to him, what, man, were you raised by wolves or something? And then Jim Parsons goes into this, like, flashback where he's hanging out with wolves in a den. But he's still wearing the same suit that he has on in in the present, right? (laughs) So the clean version is him hanging out with the wolves and they're just kind of in the forest, right? Mm-hmm. The reason why people flipped out about this is because the PM version of this has Jim Parsons in the same suit, but he's feeding off the nipple of the wolf like the rest of the pups are. <laughs> <laughs> and that's how a lot of people get introduced to Jim Parsons. <laughs> I mean, there are weirder ways to make a career. Uh- <laughs> I- <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, which would you prefer? Like the, you know, hey, I'm five minutes late, or oh, uh, yeah, I was, I was the one that was sucking off the tit of a, of a wolf. I mean, if it if it helps people remember you, 
then it's not a bad role. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. yeah, heroes get remembered, kid, but legends never die. All right. <laughs> uh, oh fortunately mm-hmm. for Kaylee Cuoco, who plays Penny, she mm-hmm. didn't have to go through that type of thing to be noticed. She was on eight simple rules for dating my teenage daughter. Uh, mm-hmm. And, you know, when, when John Ritter passed away, you almost have to wonder if this was like a silver lining for her to open up and to have the opportunity to be a part of this. Um, I'm not saying there's ever a silver lining in the death of a beloved, you know, icon like him. But, mm-hmm. you know, fortunately, that's, that's I mean, ma- imagine who else would have been in play, right, if she was still on that show. Yeah, and if that show going and like nothing against that show, and obviously it's it's hard to compare the two, given that one had to get cut, one was cut short because of the death of um, of John Ritter, but like I don't know if that show would have reached the same acclaim, notoriety, however you want to look at it, the same level the Big Bang reached in in pop culture, because again, like as much as much like shit as people want to give this show like i think we owe a little bit of how popular nerd culture has become or more how accepted it's become a little bit into this show while we can say that like yeah like like obviously like like marvel had a huge have it had a huge bit of it of having superhero movies be like as big as they are and as have as can reach as big of an audience as they can now that's that's surely something but like would comic-con and everything else be as like kind of like events to go to and things to do if we didn't see these characters doing them i think we owe the show a little bit or at least pop culture owes a little bit to the show for letting everyone be nerdy and it being okay and we've talked about the nerd tide before you know, like this, mm-hmm. this show was just lifting off in 2007. And yeah, as you mentioned, Joe, the comic cons are starting to get a little bit more commercialized, right? We're starting to see more of these traveling shows pop up mm-hmm. and, and celebrities are now being more accessible than they ever had been before. Uh, I do agree with you because this show, and, and I'll, I'll take this question normally because I've been putting you and other people on the spot going, put this show in your own words. Right. Yes. Put this movie in your own mm-hmm. words. I'll take this one for once. This show was really about how intelligent people, who are obviously nerds, right? Mm-hmm. How they navigate life, how they balance their work lives, how they balance these geeky, nerdy, dorky things that they also have interests in. Mm-hmm. And then growing beyond that and building relationships, right? And like, you're you're literally watching these uh, man boys become, you know, grown ass men in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. And I'm not even ashamed to say that because a lot of us who are nerds end up getting that that man boy moniker, whatever you want to call it, mm-hmm. that 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 label put on us. But at the same time, this show does put out there that yeah these people can have successful careers and still enjoy the things that have historically not been mainstream entertainment right Mm -hmm. and that's that's what this really did become the platform for and not just visualizing it but showing that even it's a fictional character still Mm -hmm. possible (laughs) so yeah and i i think that's that's kind of where i think most of us really should like 
kind of land on this series. Well, obviously, you can always like you can love it, hate it. It's it's you. You can do what you want. It's not going to be everyone's taste. And when we look at like again, like the general complaint is that we don't necessarily have characters. We have basically the absolute most. I want to say hardcore, but I don't think it works for them, but the most nerdcore possible, um, like, nerd. stereotypes in the show. Nerdcore. Uh, like, nerdcore. <laughs> but, Sorry. like, when we, when we look at it, we've got Leonard, who we can argue is the most well-adjusted of, of the group, uh, in that he's smart, he's intelligent, but he still dresses incredibly nerdy all the time, like, every single day. Um, and kind of like holds the group together in the middle. Uh, you've got Sheldon, who is like insanely intelligent so much that he doesn't understand how humans work because he doesn't understand social interactions at all. He is like when you say like a man child, he is that like to an extreme because like if he doesn't get like the seat that he normally sits in or he doesn't have uh, a certain thing done at a certain time that he's used to, he panics, he freaks out, and he doesn't know how to handle it. And he, you can see like kind of this internal meltdown every time he does it. And then you have again in the same the same vein of so like these like two characters who don't know how to either act with the rest of society. You have Howard Wallowitz, um, played by uh, Simon Heldberg, and he is so inept with talking to women, but he doesn't really... He, at the same time, doesn't get that, but also gets it in a weird way. And that, of the group, he seems to put off this vibe that if any of us could get a girl, it's probably going to be him, just because he will actually talk to them more frequently with the intent of trying to like hook up with them or date them. Except, of course, he fails miserably all the time because he looks like Howard Wallowitz. Um, and he acts like Howard Wallowitz. He's incredibly perverted and just kind of like almost the worst kind of nerd you can have. I was yeah. going to say, it's not mm-hmm. enough to just classify him as that, though, because mm-hmm. you've you talked about the appearances of, of both you know, Sheldon and Leonard. And mm-hmm. Howard looks like he was ripped out of a 70s fashion catalog. Except he's like a five foot four dude, so it's even more comedic and pronounced. Yes. <laughs> so it's he's got these bizarre striped t shirts and like oh, these mm-hmm. massive belt buckles and like high fastening pants and you know he's the, rocking a bowl cut for most of the show, if not all. Yeah. Like he almost the whole damn thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> it's, it's not good. And then just tying the whole group together is we have Raj Kuthrapali, played by Kunal Nayar, I believe is how you pronounce his real name. Yeah. Um, and he is from India, incredibly intelligent, and the absolute worst with women, where I believe it's not even until like season like four, where they find out the only way he can talk to women is if he's been drinking. Because before then, like... It was actually a pretty like a fun ongoing gag of Penny would purposely ask him questions, knowing full well he will just suddenly stop talking <laughs> and won't say anything at all. And it was a funny gag. And this is a, that's actually a credit to give to the show is they knew when to stop that joke or when it wasn't funny anymore, and they had Raj start actually adapting and changing. But he and that's something I think he basically has to happen throughout most of the series where he cannot talk to women unless he's been drinking. Which doesn't make any sense because there's parts of the show in the beginning where they're in the cafeteria and there's clearly women right next to him that are around mm-hmm. him. Yeah, can talk just fine. So, I mean, I, it, mean, it, 
maybe it's talking to the women is where he he messes up. It's it's not the women around is okay, but as soon as he has to say something directly to them, that's no, when the panic it's, strikes. It's, it's even when Penny's just there in the in the apartment with them, mm-hmm. he can't talk even if she's like two seats over, you know. And that's true. And there are parts mm-hmm. of this in in like I said in the university in the cafeteria, there's a woman right behind him, mm-hmm. and he's fine. So. <laughs> I, I agree with you that killing the, the joke made sense, like get rid of it mm-hmm. after a certain point. But w- what I do like about this, Joe, is we're kind of expanding this universe out a little bit, is that I, I do appreciate that they didn't try to do way too many character introductions. They kept mm-hmm. the early portions of the show very specific to developing you know, Leonard, uh, Sheldon, and, and Penny, and kind of keeping mm-hmm. them as the focus and then these supporting characters even though Howard and Raj are big parts of it they weren't like the the main focus and over time though they did start getting more of the limelight but not mm-hmm. at first and so yeah. i thought that was a good idea i think i think they they performed it well and there was plenty to laugh at and enjoy even with that focus yeah i would agree like this is a scenario where we don't have like the Ross and Rachel thing going on with uh, with Leonard and Penny. Obviously, the first two seasons are, are they going to do it? Oh, they did it. They're breaking up. Things are weird. Um, and they, they kind of do that for, I think, at most three seasons. I think the Justice League episode, they break up. Um, they after they had gotten together after they get back from the season two um, finale. Um, the, if you if you watch the show, the end of season two is where the four get a grant to go study in Antarctica to see yeah. if uh, they can prove one of Sheldon's theories. And they come back, and then Leonard and Penny that get swept up in each other after not seeing each other for a while. They start a relationship, and I think they break up during that season before they eventually get back together. And what I'm trying to get at here is that. They don't really toy around with that for too long. And because they don't do that, they do have the the ability to really explore the relationships of the other characters. And by they can do that by introducing new characters uh, that start out seemingly as just simple love interests for the rest of the cast when you get Bernadette and Amy joining. But yeah. while it seems like they're like, okay, these are just more like cheap characters for A, we can just see a few relationship quirks with the others. Um they actually become integral parts of the show themselves and become like you know fan favorites for for many so it's it's really great that they were able to take something that they knew worked for a while and knew that they couldn't just stretch and drag that for the longest time and have you know Leonard date like what is it fucking 30 women in the course of this show before finally ending up with who we thought he was going to in the first place. It's not like, nope, Ted Mosby that's bad. Cemented. Yeah, it's not it's not Ted Mosby bad. It, it's I mean, it's it's definitely like a 7 mm-hmm. to 10, I think. There's encounters. It feels a little more believable than yeah. you know telling your children a story over the course of what seems like 10 years, but you know, whatever. <laughs> but mm-hmm. to, to your point though, Yes, Mayim Bialik is is uh, Amy Farrah Fowler, and then Melissa Rauch is, is Bernadette. They they added more than just being a, a face for someone else to love on, and you're absolutely mm-hmm. right. But what I love about Mayim specifically is that she actually has a PhD in neuroscience mm-hmm. and actually has a really strong grasp on bio- uh, biology, and she ended up complimenting their in-house expert scientist that they had from uh, University of California by the name of David Salzberg. 
he is a professor of physics and astronomy and actually helped them with most of the whiteboarding exercises where they're writing stuff and the equations need to look a certain way. Mm-hmm. But over time, once Mayim was part of the, the, the uh, part of the cast, they're just like, Hey, uh, you actually know this, right? And she's like, Oh yeah, yeah, I can, I can validate that. <laughs> So, so it was yeah, like Dave hasn't was... been fucking with us this whole time, has he? Like... <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. You say, yeah, Dave, he's a trickster, isn't he? Yeah, yeah, yeah he got us. Story. He got us good. That was seven <laughs> seasons of that nonsense. Yeah, yeah. But to your point, man, like, yeah, mm-hmm. I, when you see certain characters get added to a show, I, I know that people always have their favorites and their not so favorites. I mm-hmm. never really felt that way with any of these characters, although you did find out that Bernadette is really kind of mean as the series goes on, and she doesn't realize it, and then and then she slowly gets told by other people. It's like, yeah, we're afraid of how how bad, how mad you can be at us. <laughs> uh, didn't know how to tell you. So, like, mm-hmm. I don't really think that's something to dock her for, but it was something that was really funny because she's the shortest character on the show but she's the angriest. (laughs) (laughs) And I think that's like, that's a juxtaposition that kind of works. Like, you know how like, ironically you have a really big guy and you call him tiny is that you have this really short and very sweet sounding individual who can actually really scare everyone (laughs) really, really easily. Oh yeah. Yeah. Which when we talk about Stuart, the comic book shop owner who's played by Kevin Sussman, Mm -hmm. Now, ironically enough, he actually tried out for several roles on this show. I think he was even up for Sheldon at one point. Didn't end up getting it, of course. Mm -hmm. But then they brought him back and said, hey, we think we have a role for you that we think you'd be a good fit for. And Stuart's not like a main character in the beginning. Obviously, we know who he is. He's very Mm -hmm. self-deprecating. He's always poor and always suffering through the worst of life. Which I imagine is most comic shop owners. Um, (laughs) And... That it's just because of you know the the industry, <laughs> but yeah, yeah, I, I that, that I think again of of people complaining about inaccuracies. That's probably accurate. I I feel like that's pretty accurate because I mean he's living out of the comic book shop at one point. He's always mm-hmm. trying to get free food. You know they and all the characters know this, right? <laughs> so oh yeah, like, <laughs> not like it's a surprise to anyone. But I think the <laughs> the the funny thing to watch out for in the beginning mm-hmm. of the show. Because we're obviously we're not going to cover all the seasons just like we did with with uh, Game of Thrones and everything. But what's funny here is that when we do expand this cast out, we get introduced mm-hmm. to both Sheldon and Leonard's moms. So Sheldon's mom is played with Laurie Metcalf once again. Roseanne mm-hmm. fans, you'll recognize her, and then Christine Bransky, who I of course always remember her for The Grinch. She's the the lady shooting the the light cannon at her house and mm-hmm. all that. <laughs> so I recognize her from that part mm-hmm. of it. But I love how they use the moms as a way to explain the sons. Yes. And, mm-hmm. and Leonard's mom, like, she is just, <laughs> she's so mean towards him <laughs> because she's so <laughs> proud of the other kids. Mm-hmm. And, and, and Leonard's just this afterthought for so long, you know, and you can tell and... <laughs> And I, it makes you feel so bad for him. But then when he mm-hmm. screws up, you're almost like, that's not your mom's fault anymore. Like, yeah, you can't blame her for all of that. But I don't know. I, I love that mm-hmm. dynamic. I don't know about you. I do. And I, this is where, like, again, like the the very opposite nature of 
Sheldon's mom versus um, Leonard's mom, because then you have Sheldon's mom, who is super supportive of Sheldon, despite being very different from Sheldon, because Sheldon, like we said, is very much, he is, he is very much the scientist. That is, everything needs to be concrete and well-explained. And then you have his very religious mother, who loves Sheldon to death, is proud of him, and supports him, but, you know, is very much going to be at church all the time and be, you know, a little... A little upset that Sheldon doesn't go to church anymore, but also accept him for who he is. So that that juxtaposition of mothers is very fun to see what it does to the characters. But another thing that I'd like to uh, uh, praise the show for is its its service towards like nerd community by involving a lot of cameos. So and, and this is also in a time where like it's pre like M's like. Eh, same time, I don't know, maybe not same like pre MCU cameo stuff that's building this universe, yeah. but at the same time, we are getting uh, people from the titles that these characters are big fans of, like Star Wars and Star Trek and any other sci fi series showing up on this show. Where, like, we've got a Stan Lee cameo where he's on and he's tired of all these nerds like bugging him at his house. Uh, you've got Summer Glau, they meet her on a train, which is a yeah. great episode over how much Sheldon absolutely loved trains. And then to this day, I will always use a Howard Wallowitz quote when I say, yeah, because who doesn't love transportation that takes three times as long and is just as expensive as a plane? Uh, <laughs> so it's, it's, it's brilliant. Trains are inefficient and stupid, and I hate them because they're not like they are in countries where they make sense and they move really fast. I digress. Um, you have that. Uh, Will Wheaton is a caricature, uh, or like a character, not a caricature, I've done that too much, but a character of himself, where he is, he really, like, I don't know, eats up the fact that he was a child star and uses that to advantage to skip ahead of them in a movie line, or, or just, yeah. like, basically like, cut Sheldon off at every, like, possible pass. And then you even get Sarah Michelle Gellar ends up on this show as, as a cameo. So... All these fun little things over, hey, and, and on top of that, these, all these cameos are like the, the people being themselves. So all of the characters in the show, except for Penny, because Penny never watched any of these things, are always just as excited as we are to see them show up on screen. And I was going to say that we might as well call that our first high of, mm -hmm. of this series, because I agree with you on that. The, the highs were really fun, because as you mentioned, Joe... MCU kind of kicks off 20 or 2008, 2009, I think, mm -hmm. officially in that era. So right at the beginning of that, of this show. And it expands from there. We get Neil deGrasse Tyson. Uh, we get uh, Will, oh, you mentioned Will Wheaton, but we get LeVar Burton. Uh, mm -hmm. Bill Nye shows up. Uh, Stephen Hawking is in multiple episodes. Uh, and even James Earl Jones pops in. Uh, at one point, uh, so, and you find out he's kind of like a party animal, which is really funny. <laughs> but I, I, I would say one of my other highs, though, is the whole weird child. 
<laughs> you know the, the the whole mm-hmm. the idea of Sheldon holding this years long grudge because Wheaton didn't show up to a convention that he was supposed to be at, and then <laughs> mm-hmm. you know he he freaks out about it, and of course the, the when when he finally does meet up with Will years later, Will Wheaton does kind of take on the same persona that he did on the Guild, where he's kind mm-hmm. of like this this uh, really. I don't know, just bullish nerd, and 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 like he wears it proudly, you know, because that's what you think that a lot of these nerds can behave like is like mm-hmm. this. There's like levels of aggressive nerd out there, and so this whole concept of like negative Wheaton is really funny to me. That, <laughs> that him and <laughs> him and, and Sheldon just have this mortal mm-hmm. enemies thing going on, but uh, yeah, <laughs> I, I I love that. the The other thing though for me is that mm-hmm. I really just enjoy how the show begins the the damn intro the bare naked ladies that yeah. I, mm-hmm. I quoted the song in the very beginning of this uh it's it's a i mean i don't usually skip the intro to this mm-hmm. show but i, I won't let you <laughs> no 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 yeah. it's 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 a banger which is uh, again just becoming more and more of a lost art in the modern era and that shows usually don't have a theme anymore they just roll into the show they may just have like a little title thing on the bottom and then they they just kind of go for it from there and while you know that not everyone can have uh the uh what am i thinking uh the the slap of seinfeld um oh yeah the bass slap yeah bass slap that's what i'm going for for some reason i thought there was some sort of other jazzy term that i was supposed to use there but like seinfeld made the bass slap work and didn't need a theme song to necessarily they just had like a little jingle going while jerry told the joke um but like that's kind of what things have moved to and this show's like no we're gonna have like a straight up theme song uh so that was that was just and again like getting getting a band to do it too a well-known band for the time uh it worked and it still works it's 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 very catchy it fits the show very well without necessarily explaining the show in the theme song itself so i was a fan i still am a fan but if i have to go for if i have to think of like two more highs one small one would be any time you've got sheldon and penny interacting with no other character around them because they kind of are these these polar opposites of Sheldon is alpha nerd guy and Penny is like incredibly hot, socially active woman who like doesn't care about the science thing at all. Um, and whenever they're together, it's always awkward and fun. Um, so like you can think of times uh, like when, when Penny falls down in the shower and Sheldon has oh, to help yes. her yes. or when the Sheldon gets sick and Penny has to sing to him. Like yes. whenever those two are alone for an episode, it's going to be a fun episode. Yeah, I, I agree with that a lot. And mm-hmm. the the one thing I want to call out about Penny, she, also a high point for me is that she does act as like the character who represents most of the audience, right? Like mm-hmm. she's the one who's quote unquote normal. And to the point of this nerd tide that you've mentioned, Joe, her transformation is a lot like a lot of people who never had heard of some of these superhero films that we were watching now and inundated with. Mm-hmm. And people slowly kind of came over to that and realized there's a lot of entertainment value here. And her character kind of does the same thing. She doesn't interact with any of these properties. She's not, I mean, Mm-mm. there's even an episode where she plays the MMO that they're all playing and she gets addicted to it. And, <laughs> you know, it's a great episode. It's, mm-hmm. Oh, it's, it's so damn funny. And like, 
that's that's the stuff I think about where you're mm-hmm. almost uh, the show is almost an experiment in itself where it's like showing yeah. people that it's like you can enjoy this stuff too. You can go for mm-hmm. this. And I know that's not what they like. There wasn't a mission statement or anything. Mm-hmm. But just the visual of seeing that, uh, I, I think that was really funny and I thought it was executed well. And, and for me, her transformation is definitely another high point of the series. Yeah, absolutely. But like, yeah. like, like always, not every show can be all rise all the time. We have to have some lower points to it. So, Mark, where would where would a low point or a a not greatness factor of the show lie for you? So, as much as I love the expanded cast and what they do, because these these extra dynamics can be fun. Mm-hmm. I I don't want to call this like a specific high of just the single life of the nerds, but I guess maybe like this is our transition. The show begins as watching nerds be nerds and that's what was entertaining at first right like it's funny Mm -hmm. seeing these people who are kind of socially inept try to figure it out and to me that was where most of the entertainment value came from the show over time though becomes heavily relationship focused as you get into some of the later seasons and they're having Mm -hmm. babies and like all this other stuff's happening people are getting married and for me, that's where I started to fall off, kind of like what you mentioned. I think there's a lot of people who fell off after season six, maybe mm-hmm. season seven, whatever, because the dynamic completely changes. So instead of yeah. laughing because you're like, oh, a nerdy person did nerdy thing, you're like, mm-hmm. no, nerdy character didn't listen to their spouse, and now I have to watch the drama that unfolds. And yeah. personally, mm-hmm. did not love it as much. I still stuck with it. But I think that's why a lot of people began to taper off and i don't know if that yeah. was you i mean it was mm-hmm. does that mirror your experience so i think what what made me end up tapering off isn't it was less to do with the show so much to do with like i think uh there's me moving around and not having cable anymore and um not having access to watch the show did it was the biggest thing that hurt me uh, but i would and this is where it's odd, where I am going to mirror you a little bit here in saying that, yes, uh, you, you kind of, it seems like the show lost the heart of what it was supposed to be about. So when I would try watching things, and then it's like, oh, okay, Sheldon like made Amy mad again because Sheldon is Sheldon. So instead of making the group mad with his weirdness, he's made his girlfriend mad or eventually his wife mad. Because like we said, like the the show kind of shifts and changes from nerdiness to relationships and uh life changing but this is where i'm actually going to pull like a weird like 180 on this because where i think well that is also a weakness of the show when we get to the finale of the show which we said usually finales are are like you know divisive for a lot of audiences that's where it actually came around and made sense to me because again, like like I said, I, like I fell off the show, and then we decided we were going to do the episode. Uh, I decided I was going to do like this weird microchasm of the show, where I'm going to watch the very first episode, and then I'm going to watch the middle episode of the middle season of the show. So I watched season <laughs> season six, episode twelve, because that's the dead center. And then I went to the very end of the show and I watched the finale for the first time while getting ready to watch this. So I had been away from the characters for a while and I knew what the show was turning into. And then when you see them wrap up the show and you've got obviously um, Howard and, and uh, Bern- uh, Bernadette, uh, they've got kids. They're, they're now 
more worried about the kids than some of their more nerdy endeavors. You've got uh, Leonard and Penny uh, pregnant is what's revealed in the last episode, and uh, they're getting ready to move on with their life. Sadly, there's no real growth for Raj. It's just him and his dog, and he he is where he is. But, like, the biggest thing that I think works is that Sheldon was always basically unchanged throughout the entire thing, is he never quite got it. That how he said things, despite the meaning he actually felt, could still affect other people in a negative way that he didn't intend. And he finally gets it in the last episode. And yeah, he softens. He softens a ton. He softens so much. Yeah. And yeah. the way he chooses to actually kind of call himself out on that and recognize all the other characters and completely put something away that he'd been looking forward to literally the entire series to acknowledge his friends. And then you see that they're all moving on and they're getting ready to do other things. I feel like that mirrors life so very well. And that like how we have an idea of where we are and what we want to do. And that changes. And even if it's not in our, what we would have thought was for the better at some point in time of our life, and that we thought the single fun nerdy life was going to stay that way. And that was the best way we find mm-hmm. something else that over time shows us that maybe for who I am right now, this is actually a lot better than what I thought it was going to be when I was younger, wanting to do something different. And while we end the show without like full closure, there is no, they've all completely moved away from each other. They've moved on. They're still friends. We end with an acoustic version of the theme song. They're all sitting on the couch eating takeout like they did when the show just, first started. Just, yep. And it, I thought it pulled everything together incredibly nicely, where we can see these characters still have more story to tell, but we think that that part is better left untold and left for the audience to imagine others on their own. And to be honest with you, it's not really entirely the fault of the, even the writers at this point. Like, this is something I want to be very specific about, because Jim Parsons really wavered back and forth, very similar to Jason Siegel for, you know, for How I Met Your Mother. He mm-hmm. wasn't really sure if he wanted to keep doing this, the amount of time investment, the other things he wanted to do. Remember, he 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 started in off-Broadway. Like, he, he loves the performance, and people took a chance on him to even do theater, so for him it meant a lot. And so to not do that kind of stuff anymore and to be focused just on this, he mm-hmm. fought a lot to go, do I even want to come back? You know, if I do come back, does something have to change, right? And so when he finally did decide I'll do one last season, it floored everybody because he basically cut down the careers of everybody else at that point, right? It's like, Mm -hmm. hey, guys, I'm sorry. I can't do this anymore. Like, I know that I know this is a moneymaker for everybody, but I I can't. I can't do it anymore. So they had no choice. They had to figure out a way to wrap this up. And Mm -hmm. I I do think in a lot of ways... uh, TV shows ending, no one's ever going to be truly happy with it. No. But to your point, that imagery is what stuck with me at the end of it. It wasn't really, mm-hmm. did we stumble through that last season? I didn't really care. It's how I feel at the end. And that, that shot that you mentioned also stuck with me. And I was mm-hmm. like, I can't be mad. <laughs> no. And see, that's the thing. Like when we compare this to like another series that we do love, like we go with Seinfeld, because again, it was it was the staple. It was it was the bar that was set for sitcoms in the nineties. And you get this episode where suddenly, 
like they're going to jail because everyone from the series who they've ever made mad is testifying against their character in this case and they go to jail it's 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 aggravating because it's like that's how you're going to end it they all go to jail but then you've also got from the other side of saying you know what they are actually bad people who think they're good and that's kind of the point of the show so it kind of makes sense you can see the divisiveness with that whereas with this one i just find it really hard to look at the end of this show and when you see all the characters still being friends They've clearly done other things with their lives. They have all, mostly all, have grown so much from the start of the show. And yet you see that they're still always going to, at the same time, retain that friendship from the start of it and a little bit of that innocence from the start of it. I'm not going to lie. There's a small part of me that got a little choked up when you had that, that song playing and they were there and you saw everything that happened to that episode. You think back to what happened through the series. like. It's hard to hate it in that moment. And even if you don't like like the god you you hate the 23 minutes that led up to that 1 minute moment at the end, it leaves you with a really good high off after everything the show has done. And I think that makes it one of the more successful sitcom endings that's ever been written. And really on at the end of it all, when you look at this show, it's funny how so much of it is similar to other sitcoms. We have the will-they-won't-they they stuff that's always floating around on, the, on these sitcoms. Yes, that's there. Uh, but at the really the focus of this show, I think, and we're not just talking about string theory. We're not, we're not physicists. We're not going to talk about mm-hmm. string theory. But the real focus about this show ends up being the various miscommunications that people have. And when you have these like hyper-nerds trying to communicate with non-nerds, it mm-hmm. creates this friction, and that's what keeps people coming back. It's it's that are they going to be able to overcome this one, right? Whether it's Howard saying something insanely stupid, or you know Sheldon saying something dumb at the wrong time, and then pissing mm-hmm. someone off for the next twenty minutes. But <laughs> for this show, you get plenty of things that seem zany. They seem mm-hmm. a little weird. They seem a little off, like the soft kitty, warm kitty that you talked about a little earlier. <laughs> mm-hmm. But but it works for these characters. This stuff works for them. And I, I really do think that you get enough time to develop all these things, for the exception of Raj. We kind of just yeah. you, you mentioned that. But I think for the most part, mm-hmm. we get a good development for a lot of these characters. And I don't think we're done with them yet. I think they may still come back again. Really, I, I do. I, I would watch them in, in any capacity, to be honest. If we had a reunion episode, which has become very popular for um, old sitcoms recently, is having everyone get back together for either just we, we see the actors talking about things or we have little shorts. Like we've had, uh, God, what was it? We had Jerry and George get back together uh, just talking in the diner for yeah. a weird ad or they get back together with another show or we do like a straight up like parks and rec during covid had a like a city like a city meeting of the characters as covid was going on and it was it was a fun way of doing it so i mean i would watch them again in any capacity and that could be involving where they are now we introduce a new will they won't they situation and one thing i can guarantee you that we will do is thank all of you for listening to Digital Dissection because we always appreciate everything that you do as the Dissection crew week after week because your support really does go a long way. And if you happened upon this show by accident, 
why not leave us a review, rate us, uh, and maybe a like, a subscribe here and there, because we'd appreciate all of that very much. And we also love hearing from you, after all. So feel free to message us over at digitaldissectionpodcast at gmail.com. We welcome your ideas for future shows and possibly TV shows that ended that you didn't really appreciate that ending for. And, well, anything else you'd like to discuss, so long as it's tastefully done. And until next time, keep on dissecting. <laughs>